This morning's reading can be found in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, chapter 5, found on page 968 of the Blue Bibles. And I'm starting to read at verse 1 to verse 12, so that's page 968. Jesus is speaking. Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Some of you uh, may remember my friend Ramsey from Newcastle. Uh, He came and uh, preached here not long after we moved to Hartford a couple of years ago. Well, Ramsey's dad is a Liverpudlian, not too far uh, away from here, but his mum is Jordanian. And his dad met his mum while in the Middle East, and Ramsey actually spent most of his early years living there. And I remember him telling me that it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy to live there. He, he was brought up uh, sort of with an English culture. He spoke English. Uh, and he actually felt like a foreigner in the Middle East. And therefore, when the time came to move back to the UK, he was particularly excited. I'll let him pick up the story. These are his words. He said, I assumed that moving back to Liverpool would be easy. I was home. This was my own culture. I would know what to say, how to behave. But I was wrong. Every day I faced sometimes painful reminders that I was a foreigner here too. I spoke English fluently, yet there were so many phrases, references, idioms that made no sense to me. I would say something and everyone would laugh and I could not work out what it is that I had said that was so funny. I had no idea how to do simple things like queuing at the bus stop or wearing my rucksack to school. He goes on, slowly that changed. I learned how people in this culture spoke, dressed and acted. Rucksack, strap on one shoulder. At least it was then, wasn't it? Never both, but I think it's changed now. I I think the the, the fashion is to do both shoulders. Uh, Bus stop, never ever jump the queue, he said, even if it's raining. (laughs) And he worked out which film or song, you know, all the quotes came from. He says, I learned to fit in. Eventually, I no longer had to think about what to do in each situation. Not only had I learned the rules, he said, I had internalized the values. 
Many of you know something of Ramsey's experience too, I'm sure. You know what it is, don't you, to, to move to a new country, to a new culture. And you know what it is to, to struggle to fit in. And even if we've not crossed continents, there are plenty of other ways we can feel like we don't fit in or we don't belong. That move from school, you know, year six to seven, or from 11 to a college, or from college to university. Getting a new job, working for a new company. Maybe even in marriage you've struggled to fit in with your partner's family, getting used to the way a different family's culture works and and gets on and their way of doing things. Sometimes, tragically, people struggle to fit in in church. So often the cultures we live and work in feel so foreign. They feel so alien to us. And maybe you feel like you don't belong or you don't fit in. Well, the good news of Matthew 5 that Audrey read for us early, what we call the Beatitudes, the good news of Jesus' kingdom is that you're not meant to. You're not meant to fit in. In. You're not meant to fit in in the here and now. You're meant to be different, but with the knowledge that one day you will gloriously fit in. So, misfits, by which I mean all of you, <laughs> stick with it today because once again God's word has glorious news for us to enjoy this morning. Let me pray before we go any further. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that as we have just sung, there are truths in your word unchanged. We pray that your word would be a bright lamp for our paths this morning. And as we come to you as misfits, feeling like we don't fit in this world's culture, please show us this morning why that is. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So here we are in um, our journey through Matthew's account of the life of Jesus. We've called this series The King and the Kingdom. Matthew, uh, one of Jesus' first followers, is determined to introduce Jesus as that Messiah, as that Christ, as that King that has been long promised by God. Now, up until now, it's kind of been look at the king. That's one way to think of where we've got to so far. Look at the king. Remember, back in chapter 1, look at his lineage. Chapter 2, look at his birth. Look at how he fulfills everything that came uh, in the Old Testament, that prophecy. Chapter 3, look at what he demands, that repentance. Chapter 4, look at the power he has, the power to, to defeat the devil. And also then look at what he offers. That's what we were looking at last week, the, the invitation to light and life. So it's been look at the king up until this point. Now Matthew shifts focus. And he invites us not so much to focus on the king here, but on the king's citizens, his subjects, his family, us. And what he wants us to see is that Jesus says his citizens have nothing but gain everything. The king's citizens have nothing now 
but will gain everything in the future. Let's remind ourselves of the opening scene here. If you've got your Bibles, please do reopen them. Matthew chapter 5, it's page 968. Um, we're gonna, I'm going to read from um, verse 1. 968, Matthew chapter 5, um, verse 1. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. So, huge crowds are following Jesus. But as we saw last week at the end of uh, Matthew 4... Some of those people were really what we would call just sort of superficial followers of Jesus. They were jumping on the, on the bandwagon. You know, they wanted to see him do something spectacular. They wanted maybe a healing. They wanted their friends to, to be healed or their relatives. So we've got that kind of uh, group that, that are following Jesus. But we've also seen how Matthew was drawing our attention to Jesus' small inner circle, if you like. The more committed disciples, the so-called fishers of men that we heard about last time. Now they've been with him a while, and actually what happens here is this is instruction for them. Jesus is teaching his disciples here. That's an important point. Crucial point, actually, as we'll come on to see. But he's teaching his disciples with the crowd listening in. In other words, for those, what he's saying is, for those of you who are already in my kingdom, those I've already called, those who've repented... This is what faithful citizenship looks like. And for those of you who are here who are not yet in the kingdom, you know, those who are here maybe for the wrong reasons, looking for this this spectacular, or uh, those maybe who have not yet repented, those who have not asked for forgiveness from God, you're welcome. You're welcome to listen in and consider what is at stake for being a citizen of this kingdom. As then, so now. Some of us here, the Lord has called and we have repented. Listen in, the Lord is teaching us. Some of us are here and we're still working it all out and we haven't yet responded to the the Lord's call. And that's fine, You're, you're so welcome here. But please listen to and consider what is at stake for you and maybe how you should respond. So, Jesus begins to teach his disciples, the crowd are listening in, and he begins to teach them what it looks like to belong in his kingdom. What characteristics, what attitudes, what behavior mark out citizens as different. And Matthew, I think, records eight ways quite clearly here, that are the ways that Jesus' citizens have nothing but gain everything. Firstly then, verse 3, look down to verse 3 with me. It says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, what we could say is accurate self-assessment now, undeserved acceptance then. Accurate self-assessment now, undeserved acceptance then. We've got to think, who are we before God? How are we going to assess who we are before God? Is our attitude one of unbelief? Is our attitude one of rejection of God? 
Is it one of anger towards him? Or judgment? Or thinking we know better? Or disobedience? Or do we have a healthy relationship? Uh, Do we have a, a healthy understanding of that relationship? Divine? Human? Creator? Created. All-powerful, all-knowing, all-wise, seriously limited. Eternal, holy, pure, perfect, sinful from birth. The poverty that is referred to uh, in verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, that poverty has nothing to do with material destitution, with financial issues, insecurity, anything like that, no. It is all about acknowledging our spiritual poverty, our our true, our fallen state before the all-powerful, the all-knowing, the all-loving creator of the world. It's about acknowledging that there is nothing we bring to the party of salvation. God's kingdom is made up of citizens who know they have absolutely nothing to offer God in this regard. He and he alone is the one who can rescue, the one who can redeem, the one who can renew, the one who can transform. I'm not sure that... uh, Many hymns capture this actually as powerfully as Rock of Ages. Remember that hymn? We actually, it was actually sung um, at the start of the service. The first two lines of the third verse say this. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to your cross I cling. Nothing. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Why? Because the king's citizens have an accurate self-assessment now and they know that it is only by trusting that Jesus' blood was spilt for their sin that they have any hope of being made right with God. Simply to the cross I cling. But what a making right that is with God. According to Jesus, the blessing reserved for these humble, these contrite realists, if you like, is nothing less than the kingdom of heaven. Accurate self-assessment now, undeserved acceptance in the kingdom then. That's the first way in which Jesus' citizens have nothing but gain everything. Here's the second. Look at verse 4. Verse 4 says... Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. In other words, we could say, sorrow and tears now, eternal comfort and joy then. Why? Why why mourning now? Well, yes, there are the tears that are associated with living in this world and the misery of this world and the evil in this world, the fallenness of it, the brokenness of it, the imposition of death in it. We never have to look too far for any of those things, do we? So that is partly in view here. 
But the word mourn used in its context here more accurately describes that sorrow of a broken heart. The ache of a soul that is longing for completeness and wholeness. Describes the anguish of a troubled mind that knows that everything is not right. In other words, we could say they are tears of contrition that flow from recognizing our accurate self-reflection. Perhaps that's best illustrated by Paul in Romans 7.27 when he gets exasperated at the, the reality of his struggle with sin. Do you remember that? He cries out, what a wretched man I am. Who's going to rescue me from this body of death? Sorrow and tears now. Who's going to rescue me? I'm wretched. But as he goes on to declare just a verse, le- a verse later, thanks be to God. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Sorrow and tears now, eternal joy and comfort then. That's what he's looking at. Here's a third way. Jesus' citizens have nothing but gain everything. Look at verse 5. Blessed are the meek. For they will inherit the earth. Or in other words, we could say worldly might rejected now, abundant blessing inherited then. Now you see, I don't know about you, but but for me, the word meek doesn't exactly conjure up many positive connotations. Does, Does it for you? Meek? Meek, you know, gentle Jesus, meek and mild. Look upon this little child. Do you remember that? that you know, it, it's creating an image, isn't it? In, well, it does in my mind. The problem, though, is not actually with the words. The problem is with our use of the words. I mean, these are, meek, meek is, is, a biblical, is a biblical word. The problem is that, 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 that we change the meanings. And in our usage, things begin to mean something they didn't used to mean. We've got plenty of examples of this. We know it, don't we? Intrinsically, cool, there's an example. <laughs> It means something different, actually. It means two things, doesn't it? Um, There are other examples. Awful. Sick. (laughs) Gay. There are so many words that mean now different things to us. And and they're used in different ways. I think meekness is an example of this. Um, uh, But if if you are thinking here that the words meek or gentle, because that's another way actually that this is often translated as as gentle. But if if those words bring to your mind timidity or wimpiness or or some idea of being a slightly wishy-washy or a doormat or something like that, you can be sure of one thing. That is not the definition that is going on here. The meek are those who reject worldly shows of power and selfishness. And do you know what? It takes an awful lot of strength to reject worldly shows of power and selfishness. And instead, what the meek do is that they exert a self-control. And they're self-controlled enough to be humble and patient and sensitive in their dealings with everyone. Citizens of the kingdom with this kind of meekness will enjoy the abundant blessing of inheriting the earth. And that's not what this world expects, is it? Do you see how this is kind of up, again, upside down teaching? 
accurate self-assessment. Sorrow and tears in response to that self-assessment. Rejecting the world's might now. All of that leads to undeserved acceptance, comfort and joy, and abundant blessing. And when the king's citizens are blessed with all that, they demonstrate, if you look at verse 6, verse 6, and suddenly they begin, verse 6, they demonstrate a hunger and a thirst for righteousness, which we're told will be filled. This is the fourth characteristic. Desiring justice now, eternal satisfaction then. I'm sure you've come across the word hangry before, yeah? You come across that word, hangry? Yeah, I saw, we saw that uh, word um, at a fish and chip shop in the summer. We were on holiday and it had hangry. And it was, it was, ri- it was written up on the wall and it, um, it was framed. And then underneath was, was the definition. If you don't know, hangry is a composite word. It joins hungry and angry. <laughs> so when you're, when you're hangry, you can understand what goes on. Your emotions uh, start, start to change. It's a real word, by the way. It was added to the Oxford English Dictionary a few years ago. It's not, it's not just a, a slang word. Anyway, Deb's realised fairly early on in our marriage how hangry um, I can get, <laughs> especially when shopping. You know, shopping on an empty stomach doesn't work well for me. I'm sure it doesn't work well for a lot of men. Anyway, she le- and, and we learned that actually regular pit stops were, were required. Especially if we had a decision to make. You know, if we were trying to, to decide on what we were going to buy. I can't do that on an empty stomach. I can't do that when I need a drink because my hunger and my thirst is distracting me. And when my hunger and thirst distracts me, actually that's become, that becomes the all-consuming thing. I've got to get something, you know, inside my belly. <laughs> and actually then that changes my emotional state, hence hangry. But that is what true hunger does, isn't it? If we hunger for something, to hunger and thirst for righteousness isn't to get grumpy about it, but it is is to let it dominate our thinking, To, to, to let ourselves not be distracted by the other unimportant things. To hunger and thirst for righteousness is to passionately pursue righteousness, that right relationship, that righteousness with God. And a right relationship with God actually impacts in two directions. We'll think about this a bit more next week. But it, it impacts in two directions. It impacts in our, the, the sort of the hunger and thirst for a right relationship between us and God. And then we hunger and thirst for a right relationship horizontally between each other as well. We'll explore more, as I say, about this next week. But for now, note how once again this hunger, this desire now will one day be totally satisfied. Fifth characteristic, we need to speed up a bit. Uh, Verse 7, verse 7 says this, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Mercy. What's mercy? Mercy is this this loving, it's a a compassion-filled concern for people in, in really difficult circumstances. Tragic circumstances, miserable circumstances. It's treating people with undeserved generosity, actually. And that's where it begins to shade into forgiveness. So in part, this characteristic is about being forgivers now and forgiven then. 
This is where mercy leads. One of the new films that I'm really looking forward to seeing is Napoleon. I don't know if you've heard about that film, Ridley Scott's new two and a half hour um, epic. Of course, Napoleon's not really renowned for his compassion and his mercy. But the story has been told, and I have no reason to believe this is in the film, it might be, but the story has been told uh, of a mother who sought from the great emperor the pardon of her son. Her son had uh, had been guilty of an offence. Napoleon told her it was actually her son's second offence, and justice demanded that her son die. She um, and, and that justice demanded that this 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 uh, child died. Well, the mother said to Napoleon, "I didn't ask for justice. I plead for mercy," is what she said to him. But said the emperor. He doesn't deserve mercy. The mother cried back, Sir, it would not be mercy if he deserved it. And mercy is all I ask. Napoleon gets it. Well then, I will show mercy. And apparently the son was saved. Do you see how mercy is undeserved forgiveness? You can't be a citizen of the kingdom and not get that. You can't be a genuine citizen of the kingdom and not get that. You can't be a citizen of the kingdom and not let that affect how you treat other people. The citizens of God's kingdom are to be known by their compassion and forgiveness, not least because they are recipients of mercy themselves. Sixthly, blessed are the pure in heart. This is verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Clean heart is an amazing gospel blessing. But to one day appear in God's presence will require total purity. Our pure, our our new, our Holy Spirit-filled hearts now secure that future for us. So citizens are washed clean now and they will be totally with God then. Once again, this is beautifully captured in that hymn uh, I mentioned earlier. Let me remind you of that and give you the rest of the third verse. It says, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to your cross I cling. Naked come to you for dress, helpless look to you for grace, foul I to the fountain fly, wash me saviour or I die. We can remember these words in our purified hearts. I hope we can cherish them. I hope we can pass them on to others. Because without the washing of our Saviour, we are rightfully condemned to death and we have no eternal future with God. The next blessing uh, reveals another incredible truth. It's this, that citizens who, who make peace are not simply citizens of the kingdom, they're family. 
the children of the king. Verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called sons of God. In other words, peacemakers now, family reconciliation then. You know this, don't you? But children manifest the attributes of their parents. Surely it hasn't passed you by that. Children manifest the attributes of their parents. For good or ill, they do it. I mean, which, which uh, parent has never turned to the other one and with a cheeky grin and said something like, you know, hmm, I wonder where they get that from. <laughs> Might even have done that this weekend. <laughs> there is a certain inevitability about it, though. Children inheriting the traits and the characteristics of their parents. So if we are called his sons, that means that we are adopted into his family. We are called, therefore, into the family business, so to speak, and and to share the, the sort of same characteristics and the traits. And the family business is peacemaking. But make no mistake, it's not peace at any price. To be a peacemaker is not to be an appeaser. As we were thinking about earlier, it's not to be a doormat. But it is to overcome evil with good. And here's the warning for our wider church at the moment, as well as for our own personal discipleship. It's both. If we overlook flagrant sin, if we allow heretical teaching and embrace it institutionally as well as in our own lives if we accept something as good that God calls evil all for the sake of making peace or trying to achieve unity all that does is only serve to cheapen and weaken the peace and the unity that it claims to be to have and to be because then it's not based on anything gospel at all, at all, and it's as if it's as, as if we are just crucifying Christ all over again, and that Jesus died for nothing. Don't forget that elsewhere Jesus instructs citizens of His kingdom. He says, "If your brother sins, rebuke him." You need to do that to me. I need to do it to you. We need to do it to each other. And if he repents. Forgive him. Forgive him. The king's citizens work for peace. They might not get it, but they try. Peacemakers now. Family reconciliation then. Of course, ultimately, King Jesus went to the cross to make peace between us and the Father. He walked the path of suffering. He walked that path of persecution. He walked the path of rejection and humiliation. And as followers of him, we are called to walk a similar path, which brings us to this last characteristic. Hated now, unconditionally loved then. Take a look at verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Don't miss the change of gear here. (laughs) it's changed this is a reminder that citizens of the kingdom shouldn't be naive yes we'd all love to live in a world wouldn't we where good is rewarded and evil is punished 
apart from our own evil, of course, let's just, you know, brush over our own sin. Let's excuse that. But everyone else is, and anyone else is. That, yeah, that's where we want to be. But Jesus says, don't be deceived. That's not the way of the world. Peacemakers, don't forget, get shot at by both sides. It's hard. And while it is an incredible privilege to be a citizen of God's kingdom here on earth, having, a, having an accurate self-assessment of, of our spiritual poverty, mourning for our sin, rejecting worldly might, desiring that justice, forgiving others, enjoying a pure heart, working for peace, all of that will not make for heaven here and now on this earth. No, Jesus says, you're going to be hated. You're going to be persecuted. And more than that, (laughs) it's in that hatred and persecution that you will truly experience the blessing of being a citizen of the kingdom. Wait, what? In that hatred and in that persecution, that's where the blessing is? That sounds a bit messed up, doesn't it? But don't forget, a citizen who has nothing will gain everything. Take a look at verse 11 and 12. Blessed are you, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. Friends, we're going to think more about this next week when we think about how this plays out in practice as we try to be influencers in this world as as the king's citizens for him. But the final thing to say this morning is this. Are you this morning one of the crowd listening into Jesus? Or are you already a citizen of the kingdom? Maybe you're here this morning and you recognise that you're not really a citizen yet and, and, and you want to be. Well, if that's you, the biggest mistake that you could make this morning is to, to look at this list and think, ah, I, I get it. I get it. All I've got to do to gain everything in this eternal, amazing reward and to become a citizen is to work at, work at it and do some introspective therapy. Yeah, I can do that. I'll, I'll, sh- I'll shed a few, few tears along the way. I'll, I'll let others get their way. Yes, I can do that. I, I'll get on the social justice bandwagon and I can work on that and so on and so on and so on. If I just do that, I, I can then earn my citizenship. Friends, that is not how the kingdom works. Citizenship is a gift. It's a gift. A gift that is on offer to you, but that can only be received through genuine repentance. Remember, nothing, nothing, nothing in our hands we bring. Nothing. Friends, the offer is there. (laughs) And Jesus longs to give you his blessing. So can I ask you this morning, will you repent of your sin? And receive the blessing of citizenship. That blessing of citizenship will take you through this life and on into the next. Nothing now, everything then. Maybe though you've already done that and you are a citizen. But you've been reminded this morning that the way you're living now doesn't quite tally with the way that citizens of God's kingdom are described in these verses. 
If that's you, friend, then I'd, I'd, I'd really just encourage you to look at this list. Look at this list and then consider the alternative that the world offers. Because it's not nice. Blessed are the powerful, the deceitful, the self-serving, the manipulative, for they get what they want. That's what the world says. Blessed are the proud, the arrogant and the vain, for they can be who they want. Blessed are the thick-skinned, because they're never going to get hurt. Blessed are the carefree, because they've got no need to worry. Blessed are those who have it all now, for they will gain nothing. Nothing. Remember, there is a way that seems right unto man, but in the end it leads only to death. Citizenship is a gift. You have been gifted these characteristics. Each and every one of us as citizens of the kingdom already has these characteristics. You don't have to earn them, but you do need to nourish them. You do need to feed them. You do need to use them. You do need to be intentional and walk in step with the Spirit to ensure that they come to fruition in your life. So can I ask you, citizens, which one of these gifts has been most, uh, have you been most neglecting? Which one of these gifts can you sense the Spirit's prompting with you personally this morning? Which one is he telling you that needs most attention. You know, maybe you still think too highly of yourself. Maybe you've become insensitive to your sin and how that ongoing sin offends your creator and your saviour. Maybe you still pine for aspects of worldly citizenship. Maybe you don't care about justice. In your own life, your immediate family and friends, or even what's going on on the other side of the world. Maybe you've people to forgive and show mercy to, regardless of what they've done. Maybe you're deliberately restaining your washed heart with a persistent sin or attitude that you know isn't right. And maybe there's peace to be made right now with a family member or a friend or a work colleague. If not made, at least attempted. Whatever it is, there is work to be done. You will be hated. You are a misfit in this world. But you will gain everything. So can I encourage you to find five minutes later today, even if it's just before you go to bed, pull out your Bible, reread this passage, maybe just take it to verse 16 as well, because we're going to get there next week, um, and, and reread five, one, uh, 1 through to 16 and simply say to Jesus, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of citizenship. And then say, show me what still needs to change in my life. Let's pray.
Father, we want to say that right now. We want to thank you for the gift of citizenship. Lord, for those amongst us this morning who who may not have accepted that gift of citizenship from you, please reassure them that your offer is there for them. Please encourage them to take that step in repentance and faith. And Lord, for those of us who are citizens, we ask for your forgiveness for when we live lives that don't look like citizens. And we want to ask you, Lord, to help us to change and show us where we need to change. For his glory and for his name's sake we pray. Amen.